it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and today we're going to jump into Chapter 20, Visitations. It's a little busy in terms of uh, Matt's experiences, but I love Matt, so it's okay. Um, quick recap of Chapter 19. Um, Matt wakes up in his room, eats all his food, and thinks about what's going on and everything, and I guess to keep it short, to move on with the story... Um, he basically is thinking about what he needs to do when the door is engaged, if you will. <laughs> so now chapter 20, um, there's a woman who comes in and she's dressed all in white silk and silver, which is a very important description. I mean, all descriptions for all characters are important, but this is kind of an important one because it's kind of a mystery box, if you will. Um, thankfully not one of those horribly done ones which is most of them. But, so she enters, shuts the door behind her, and leans against it, and just kind of look, looks at him. But she looks at him with the darkest eyes that he had ever seen. Also, something important. She's so beautiful that he almost forgets to breathe, and her hair is as black as night, held by a finely woven silver band, and as graceful in repose as another woman would be dancing. So she's extremely highly graceful, and she likes silver. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he somehow like she seems familiar like he, he might know her he's like Psh, that's, that's not possible I would never forget a woman like her <laughs> no man would and she's like hmm when you fell out you might be passable maybe but did you at least put something on now and then he's like huh oh he's naked he just realized that so <laughs> he blushes uh, goes to the bed, pulls a blanket around himself, and then just sits on the bed, but it was more of a fall. And he's like, well, I mean, you know, I wasn't expecting anybody. And then he's just like, ah, I apologize for you finding me this way. <laughs> Which I do find entertaining. Um, but he feels a little embarrassed still. But then we get the classic, which I love this line because it's it's... You guys will probably remember it from previous times, but I hope you do. If somebody's keeping tally, please let me know. He's like, for a moment, he wished that Rand, whatever he had become, or even Perrin, were there to advise him. They always seem to get on well with women. <laughs> so if you remember the whole thing where Rand thinks that Perrin and Matt are amazing with women, and then Perrin thinks Matt and Rand are amazing with women, and then Matt thinks Rand... Or, uh, Ran and Perrin are amazing with women. It's always the one who thinks the other two are better with women, and it just rotates between them. It's hilarious. Um, but yeah, so girls who knew that Rand was pretty much promised to Egwene still stared at him, and um, they seem to think Perrin's slow ways were gentle and attractive. <laughs> so Matt thinks Perrin's slow. <laughs> Um, but no matter how he tried, he managed to make a fool of himself in front of girls, and he just, he just did it right in front of this woman. And she's like, and she's responds with, oh, I wouldn't have visited you, but I was here in the White Tower for a different purpose, and I wanted to see all of you. So Matt runs <laughs> again and pulls the blanket around him. He's like, oh, you're hungry, that's to be expected. Um, the way they do things, make sure you eat all they give to you. Now, the whole, that's to be expected the way they do things, that's a theory-crafting sentence for the ages, I suppose. So, if anybody wants to look into that, you're free to. It doesn't hold a whole lot to the story, but it does imply some stuff. Um, it's like, make sure that you eat all they get you, and you'll be surprised how quickly you put weight back on and regain strength. He's like, uh, do I know you? Like, no offense, but you seem familiar. It's like, well, a woman like her would definitely be remembered. He's like, well, you may have seen me somewhere. Uh, call me Celine. It's like, dun, dun, dun. Ah, the lady Celine. She's back. But who could she be? 
Well, Celine, obviously. Um, so she seems to wait for him to recognize his, the name, and he's just he's like popping at the corners of his memory, but he can't remember it. And he's like, "Well, are you an Aes Sedai?" And she says no, but the word was soft but surprisingly emphatic. In other words, she doesn't want to be necessarily associated with Aes Sedai, which is strange considering she's in the White Tower. Um, but now he studies her to see more than her beauty. And she's almost as tall as he is, slender, and he suspects from the way that she moves, very strong. He's not sure of her age, maybe a year or two older than him, or maybe as much as ten. But her cheeks are smooth. Her necklace is of smooth white stones, woven silver matched her wide belt. It's a lot of white and a lot of silver. But she didn't wear a great serpent ring. And the absence should not have surprised him. No Aes Sedai would ever write out or say that she was not, yet it did. But There was an air about her, a self-confidence, a surety in her own power to match any queen's. And something more that he associated with Aes Sedai. <laughs> He's like, uh, any chance you're a novice? And he, like novices, you hear wear all white, but couldn't really believe it of her. And obviously, novices also don't wear jewelry. Um, He's like, wow, she makes Elaine look like a cringer. Keep in mind, Elaine's a very pretty girl. So this is either highly insulting to Elaine... Or is a massive compliment to this lady, to, to Celine. Or both. Um, unfortunately, that's all Elaine's really got going for her. Uh, more on that later. Uh, another episode. But then he's like, hmm, why am I thinking of Elaine? It's just another name floating around. She's like, hmm, not really. Uh, let's just say I am someone whose interests coincide with yours, and the Aes Sedai mean to use you, but you'll like it in the main, I think, and probably even accept it. There's no need to convince you to seek out glory. And he's like, use me? And he's thinking, like, you know, Rand. They probably want to use Rand, but why would they want to use me? It's like, there's no bloody use for me. Like, they can't have. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm nobody important. I'm just, I'm no use to anyone but myself. And what do you mean, glory? He's like, oh, I know that would pull you, you know, above all. So his memories are causing him to have some issues thinking, but her smile makes his head spin. So he scrubs a hand through his hair, and the blanket slips, and he catches it before it could fall. And he's like, he's like, hey, hey, now listen, they are not interested in me. And he's like, well, what about signing the horn in his head? Like, I'm just a farmer. And like, well, maybe they think I'm tied to Rand in some way. Well, he's not what Varen said. And he's like, not sure what Varen had said or Moraine, but he thought the acid I knew nothing at all about Rand. And he wants to keep it that way, or at least he was, until he was a long way gone. Like, just a simple countryman. I just want to see a little bit of the world and go back to my Dallas farm. But then he's thinking, but what does she mean, Glory? So Celine shakes her head as if she had heard his thoughts. It's like, you are more important than you obviously know, and definitely more important than the Aes Sedai know, the so-called Aes Sedai. Keep that tucked away for later. It's like, you can have glory if you know enough not to trust them. He's like, well, you certainly sound like you don't trust them. And he's thinking, so-called? He's like, are you... Are you... And he doesn't want to accuse her of it. And he's like, oh, a dark friend? Ha! One of those pathetic followers of Baal Zaman who thinks he will give them immora immortality and power. I follow no one. There's a man who I can stand beside, but I do not follow. And Matt's like, of course, of course not. <laughs> Blood and ashes, a dark friend wouldn't name herself. <laughs> dark friend. Like, well, probably has a poison knife if she is. But he has a vague memory of a woman dressed as nobly born, but a dark friend with a deadly dagger in a slender hand. Well, that's not what I meant at all. You know, you look like look like a queen. That's what I meant. Are you a lady? Mad, mad. You must learn to trust me. <laughs> oh, I'm going to use you as well, but you'll know because you have too suspicious of a nature. Especially after carrying that dagger for me to really deny it. But, you know, me using you is going to gain you wealth, power, and glory. But I won't compel you. 
notable questionable part i've always believed men perform better if convinced rather than forced now to be fair in real life situations this is true <laughs> they typically do like if you convince somebody to do something people are more willing to do something for you rather than if you force them to do it it works this way in literally every aspect of your life your job if your boss is forcing you to do something you probably perform not quite as well as if you had done it of your own volition with more than a slight semblance of you know excitement about it like ooh, I, I can't wait to go to my job you usually perform better um I was like, well, yes, I don't realize how important you are. And then he will try to dissuade or kill you, but I can give you a desire. And he's like, he? Who's he? And he's like, man, it's, it's Rand who they're supposed to be after. How does she know about the dagger? I suppose the whole tower knows. He's like, who wants to kill me? So Celine's mouth tightens as pretty much if she let a little bit too much loose. And he's like, well, you know what you want, Matt. And I know it every as bit as well as you. But you could choose who you will trust to gain it for you. I admit openly that I'm going to use you. Because I said I will never do that. I will lead you to wealth and glory. And hold on to that thought. And it's like, they'll keep you tied to a leash until you die. And I was like, well, you're saying a lot, but how do I know if any of it's true? How do I know I can trust you any more than I can trust them? It's like, well, by listening to what they tell you and what they do not. Would they tell you your father came to Tar of Alon? He's like, well, wait, my dad was here? Like, well, a man named Abelkothan and another named Tamal Thor. They made themselves nuisances until they gained an audience. I have heard. Wanting to know where you and your friends were. And Swan Sanche sent them back to the two rivers with empty hands, not even let them know you were alive. Will they tell you that unless you ask? Maybe not even then, because you might try to run away home. Now, I put this in consideration. What this is being said right now, keep very close attention to later on in this chapter because it'll come back and you want to listen to little details. He's like, wait, my dad thinks I'm dead? He's like, eh. It can be told you live. I can make sure of that. But think on who to trust, Matt Cawthon. Well, they tell you that even now Randall Thor is trying to escape. And the one called Moraine is hunting him. Will they tell you that the Black Aja infests their precious white tower? Will they even tell you how they mean to use you? He's like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Rand is trying to escape? But, and he's thinking that maybe she knows that Rand proclaimed himself the Dragon Reborn, but maybe she didn't. But he's not going to tell her. And he's like, the Black Aja, blood and bloody ashes. He's like, who are you, Selene? If you're not Aes Sedai, what are you? There were secrets in her smile. And she's like, well, just remember that there is another choice. You need not be a puppet for the White Tower or pray for Baal Zaman's dark friends. The world is more complex than you can imagine. Do as these Aes Sedai wish for the present, but remember your choices. Will you do that? He's like, well, I don't see much of a choice, but I suppose I will. But then Celine's look sharpens and is less friendly... And she's like, well, suppose. I didn't come to you like this. Talk in this way. For suppose, Matrim Cawthon. Oh, no. She said his full name. He's in trouble. So she stretches out a slim hand. But her hand's empty. And she stood halfway across the room. But he leans back away from her hand as if she were right on top of him with a dagger. He didn't know why, except there was a threat in her eyes. And he was sure it was definitely real. And his skin begins to tingle and his headache returned. And suddenly the tingle and pain vanished together, and Celine's head whipped around as if listening to something beyond the walls. A tiny frown appeared on her face, and she lowers her hand. The frown vanished. He's like, well, we'll talk again, Matt. I have much to say to you. At least look at your options. Remember the, the different choices. There's a lot of many, a lot of hands that would want to kill you, and I can, alone can guarantee you life. And all you seek, if you just do as I say. But then she just slips out the door, silently and gracefully as she had entered. Matt lets out a long breath and sweat's dripping down his face, and he's like, who in the light is she? He's like, uh, probably a dark friend. Something she had sounded somewhat contemptuous of Baalzaman as if he was a, as she was of the Aes Sedai. And dark friends of Baalzaman, or spoke of Baalzaman the way that anyone might speak of the creator. And she had not asked him to conceal her visit from the Aes Sedai. 
He's like, wait, great. This is, I'm just going to go up to the ice and say, pardon me, Aes Sedai, but this woman came to see me. She wasn't Aes Sedai, but I think she may have started to use the one power on me. And she said that she wasn't a dark friend, but she did not, but she did say that you meant to use me and the Black Ajas in your tower. Oh, and she said I'm as important. I don't know how. You don't mind if I leave now, do you? Yeah, it sounds that silly. So, now he's thinking that he should leave. And the idea is better and better and better by the minute. He slides awkwardly off the bed and maybe goes to the wardrobe. Let me get a little bit of a detail on his wardrobe. So his boots were on the floor inside. And Matt loves his boots. You'll find that out later in the series. Um, and his cloak hung from a peg under his belt. With pouch and sheathed belt and knife. It was just a country knife with a stout blade, but it could do as much as any fine dagger. The rest of his clothes, two sturdy wool coats, three pairs of breeches, or breeches, sorry, um, half a dozen linen shirts and small clothes. All have been brushed, washed, and everything neatly folded, but he feels the pouch hanging from the belt, and it's empty, but its contents lay kind of jumbled on a shelf, that had been pretty much emptied from his pockets. So he pushes aside a whole bunch of items that don't really mean very much, and he finds his little wash leather purse and tugs it open. And pretty much what he remembered. Two silver marks and a handful of copper. And he's like, I'm not going to get very far on that. And a year or two ago, he might have been thinking, you know, hey, that's a lot of money. But then he had left at Emmons Field, and not so much anymore. And he looks back onto the shelf, and he's like, where are they? And he's trying to think that maybe the Aes Sedai had thrown them out, the way his mother would if she ever found them. He's like, where? And he's like, oh, thank gosh. Thank the creator, thank the light. And in the back, behind his tinderbox and a ball of twine, was his two leather dice cups. They rattled as he pulled them out, but he still popped off the tight, fitting round caps. Now, I found that to be a really cool description, the, the tight-fitting round caps, mostly because um, there was a, uh, a website called Taviran Tees that used to have the rights to sell like merchandise, like official merchandise, for um, uh, the Wheel of Time. And they had it up until Amazon purchased the rights to make a, a show and have merchandise and everything. And, but while they had it, they had this uh, dice cup that I really, really, really wanted. Because again, Matt's my favorite character. But the dice cup itself is is the crowns game, which we'll, they'll mention here in a second. Um, but it's literally described like this. It's like a leather dice cup. And it has this little screw-on type round cap on it. So I thought that was kind of cool because... That's literally what I have. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Um, he sees everything. There's five dice carved with symbols for crowns and five marked with spots. And the spotted dice would do for a number of games, but most people seem to play crowns. And crowns is essentially poker, but with symbols on dice instead of uh, pips. So it's... They have their own little thing. And, it came, and the instructions came with the uh, dice cup I got, uh, where essentially it's you get three of a kind, four of a kind, a full house out of dice and all that type of stuff. And that's how basically you decide who wins when they both roll. So it, it's a cool little game system. Um, I, I have to say it'd probably be really hard to remember what everyone gets <laughs> in the uh, instance, but it is what it is. It's like, well, at least with these two marks, you'd get enough to make him be able to get far away from Tarvalon. Away from Isodai and Selene both. But then there's a, a knock on the door, followed immediately by the door opening. And he whirls around, and then the opposite seat, and the Keeper of the Chronicles just waltz right in. And he could have recognized them even without the Amarlin's broad striped stole and the Keeper's narrower blue stole. And he had seen them once, and only once, a long way from Tarvalon. He couldn't forget the two of the most powerful women among the Aes Sedai. So, 
upon seeing him standing there, the Amarlin's eyebrows popped up, and his purse and dice cup in his hand is like, um, you're not going to be using those for a while and not need them. Um, put them back and get back to bed before you fall on your face. And he hesitates, you know, wanting to puff up his chest kind of thing. And two eyes that I just look at him, dark eyes and blue, uh, appearing to read his every rebellious thought. And he did as he was told. Holds the blanket around him. And just <laughs> trying to lay down straight as a board. Not sure what else he's going to do. He's like, oh, so how are you feeling? He puts a hand on his head. And he feels goosebumps because it's the one power. Um, this is what I am personally of the belief that it is a delving, which I believe we've covered on this. I mean, again, we're 100 episodes and it's kind of hard to remember every little detail I've covered, but uh, delving just basically means it's checking to see if there's anything wrong with the body kind of thing. Basically, like it's a health checkup. Um, it can also notify the user of any potential issues. But... He's like, oh, I'm, I'm fine, even though he feels like a chill. And it's not necessarily the one power that he gets the chill from. It could be the fact that the Aes Sedai who's touching him using the one power gives him the chill. Not that he's cold. Um, he's like, well, uh, I'm just ready to be on my way. Just let me say goodbye to Gwen and Naive, and I'll be out of your hair. I mean, I mean uh, I'll go, uh, mother. Maureen and Varen hadn't really seemed to care how he talks, but this is the Amran seat. Oh, nonsense, she responds with it. Like, well, men will always seem to refuse to admit they are sick until they're sick enough to make it twice as much work for women. Then they claim they're well too soon with the same result. The keeper glances at Matt and nods. He's like, yeah, this one cannot claim he is well. He can barely stand up. At least he ate everything on his tray. Like, well, I'd be surprised if he had left enough crumbs to interest a finch. And he's probably still hungry. I'm like, well, I could have him somebody bring up a pie or maybe some cakes. Like, eh, he's he's got a little too much that he can hold for now. I don't want to bring it back up. Won't do him any good if he throws it all over the floor. And Matt's like, when you get sick, you become invisible to women unless they're actually talking to you. And then they took at least ten years off your age. Nynaeve, his mother, his sisters, the Amonsi, they everyone did it. He's like, I'm not hungry at all. I'm fine. If you let me put my clothes on, I'll show you how well I am. And I'll be out of here before you know it. And they both look at him. He clears his throat and he's like, uh, mother. And then the Amron snorts. He's like, well, you've eaten a meal for five and you'll eat three or four like it every day for days yet. Or otherwise you'll starve to death. And then we get some very important information of how in bad shape he was. You've just been healed from a link to the evil that killed every man, woman, and child in Arid Hole, a.k.a. Shadar Logoth. And no less strong for near 2,000 years upon waiting for you to pick it up. It was killing you just as surely as it killed them. That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> And it's not like having a fish spine stuck in your thumb. We barely nearly we nearly killed you trying to save you. He's like, I'm not hungry, and then his stomach growls really loudly. Everyone's like, Ah, I read you right the first time I saw you. I knew right then you'd bolt like a startled fisher bird if you ever saw someone trying to hold you. Good thing I made uh, some arrangements. He's like, uh, what kind of arrangements? And I look back and. Their, their eyes feel like he's being pinned to the bed by them. He's like, well, your name and description are on the way to the bridge guards and the dockmasters. I'll not try to hold you on the side of the tower, but you will not leave Tarvalon until you are well. Should you try to hide in the city, hunger will drive you back here eventually, and if it doesn't, we will find you before you starve. He's like, well, why do you want me so badly? Why do you want to keep me here? What? Why would you care if I starve or not? I can feed myself. And the Armelin gives a small laugh with a little bit of amusement. He's like, well, with two silver marks and a handful of copper, your dice would need to be lucky indeed to buy all the food that you're going to need in the next couple days. We don't heal people, then let them waste their efforts by dying when they still need care. In addition, you may not, you may still need healing. It's like, wait, 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 hold on. 
You you said you'd healed me. Why would I need more? It's like, come on. You carried that dagger for months. I'm pretty sure we dug every trace of it out of you, but if we miss, miss even the smallest piece, it could still be fatal. And who knows what the effect you're having, or what effect it's having on your possession so long actually might have. Half a year from now, a year, you may wish you had an Aes Sedai to heal you. He's like, you want me to stay here a year? So, <laughs> the keeper shifts her feet and, you know, eyes him. He's like, well, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, it's kind of funny. The Umberland's features are a bit unruffled, even though the keeper's not so happy with the situation. It's like, well, not as long as that. Just enough to be certain. You know, I'm sure you want that as much, you know. Who would set sail on a boat that you didn't know whether the caulking would hold or whether a plank would rot? And I was like, oh, I don't do much with boats. He's like, well, I said I don't lie, but there are too many mites and maize in it for him. He's like, well, I've been gone home for a long time. My dad and mother probably think I'm dead. Like, well, if you want to write to them, I'll see that it gets carried to Edmonds Field. And he waits for more, and he's like, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm half surprised my dad didn't come looking for me. He's the kind of man who would. He was not sure, but he thought there was small hesitation before the Amarlin answered. And he's like, well, he, he did come. And he spoke to him. At the end, spoke to him. The keeper picks it up, and he's like, we did not know where you were then, Matt. And I told him... And he left before the heavy snows. I gave him some gold to make the journey home easier. And Amalan's like, well, no doubt he'll be pleased to hear from you. And your mother will definitely be. So give me the letter when you have it written, and I'll see to it. He's like, well, they had told him, but he did have to ask, just like what Selim said. He's like, well, they didn't mention Ransda. Maybe because they didn't think I would care. Or maybe because you know, I'd burn me. I don't know. Who could tell with Aes Sedai? Well, I was traveling with a friend, Mother, Randall Thor. Do you remember him? Do you know if he's all right? I bet his dad's worried, too. And she's like, well, as far as I know. And the boy's well enough, but who can say? I've only seen him once since I saw you in Faldara. But then the Amarlin turns to Leanne and says, well, perhaps he could do with a small piece of pie, Leanne, um, and something for his throat if he's going to do all this talking. Will you see that is brought to him? And the tall Aes Sedai, you know, Leaves with a murmur, as you command, Mother. Then the Amberlin turns back to Matt, and she's smiling, but her eyes were blue ice. Um, and with if you keep in mind the prior descriptions of them pinning him down with her eyes, uh, one being dark eyes and one with blue eyes, leans kind of more to the Amberlin being the one with the blue eyes and the Keeper being with dark eyes. Um... I believe, if I recall correctly, Leanne is um, from Arad Daman, so she's Damani. Pretty sure they have more darker eyes, so that would make more sense. Tyr, I don't think, has any particular one colorization for eyes, at least that I know of. But it wouldn't be surprising that they have that, so it makes sense that this isn't just a your eyes are blue as ice to show fury, but in instead it's a intensity of the eyes because of light reflections or anything else. But in this case, it looks more like it's her blue eyes being highly intense enough to freeze you to the bone. Um, he's like, well, there are some things that would be dangerous for you to talk about, maybe even in front of Leanne. So a flapping tongue killed more men than a sudden storms ever did. He's like, wait, wait, hold on. Dangerous? But she know about Rand. If Moraine didn't keep so many secrets, we'd probably not be in this position. It's like, well, I don't know about anything dangerous. I can hardly remember half of what I know. And it's like, oh, well, do you remember the horn? It's like, oh, what horn is that? Then she was formerly sitting. Now she's on her feet, looming over him so fast that he didn't hardly see her move. It's like, oh, don't play games with me, boy, and I will, or I'll make you weep for your mother to come running. I have no time for games, and neither do you. Now, do you remember... And he's like clutching it like he's terrified and he swallows and he's like, I remember mother. So she seems to relax just a little bit and Matt struggles, you know, to relax himself. 
He's like, he had just allowed to lift his shoulders off the chopping block. He's like, well, that's good. That's good. Do you know that you are linked to the horn? And he mouths the word like linked. Like what? He's like, well, I did not think that you knew. You were the first to blow the horn of Valir after it was found. For you, it will summon dead heroes back from the grave. But for anybody else, it's just a horn. As long as you live. And he's like, wait, wait. So long as I live? It's like, yeah. He's like, and you, you could have let me die. And she's like, yep. Yeah. And then you could have anyone you want blow it. And it would have worked for them. Yep. Blood and ashes. You mean me to blow it for you. When the last battle comes, you mean me to call heroes back from the grave to fight the dark one for you. Blood and bloody ashes. And she pops her elbow on the armchair and pops her chin on her hand. And is like, would you prefer the alternative? Her eyes never left him. He's like, uh, remembering the, the alternative, and he's if someone else to sound the horn, he's like, well, you want me to blow the horn? Then I'll blow the horn. I never said I would not, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I was like, Matt, you remind me of my Uncle Juan. No one could ever pin him down. He liked to gamble, too, and he'd much rather have fun than work. He died pulling children out of a burning house. He wouldn't stop going back as long as there was one left inside. Are you like him, Matt? Will you be there when the flames are high? And he can't really look her in the eyes, but he studies his hands and his fingers pluck irritably at his blanket. He's like, I'm not a hero. I just do what I have to, but I'm not a hero. He's like, well, most of those we call heroes only did what they had to do. I suppose it'll have to be enough, at least for now. But you can't speak of anyone about this, especially with the horn. Just me and you. Or the link you have to it. It's like, well, <sighs> it's like, for now, it's all you're going to bloody get now or never. It's like, well, I don't mean to tell, bloody tell everybody. And then she arches an eyebrow and he's like, I don't want to tell anyone. I wish nobody knew. And why do you want to keep it a secret? Don't you trust I Sedai? But then he thinks he had gone too far. Her face hardens and her look could have carved axe handles. She's like, well, if I could make it so that only people here that knew were just you and me, I would. The only people... The more people who know a thing, the more the knowledge spreads, even the, with the best will. Most of the world believes the Horn of Valir is only a legend. And those who know better believe one of the hunters has yet to find it. But Sheol Ghul knows it has been found, and that means at least some dark friends know. But they don't know where it is. And if the light shines on us, they do not know you sounded it. Do you really want dark friends coming after you? Or halfmen? Or other shadow spawn? They're going to want that horn, and you must know that. It'll work as well for the shadow as for the light. But if it's to work for them, they must take you or kill you. Do you want to risk that? And he's like, wait, wait, wait. wait. Are, are you telling me that Dark Friends could come here after me? I thought that White Tower would keep them out. Then he remembers what Selena said about the Black Aja and wonders what the Amulet would say to that. He's like, well, that's a good reason to stay, don't you think? But then she gets to the her feet, smooths her skirts, because it's a classic. All right, rest, my son. You'll feel better here soon. So go ahead and rest. So she closes the door softly behind her. And then Matt just lays there for some time and just stares at the ceiling. And he doesn't really... I mean, he kind of notices, but doesn't really pay attention to it when a serving woman comes in with a piece of pie and another pitcher of milk. Takes the old trays that are empty dishes and heads out. And his stomach rumbles loudly at the smell of warm apples and spices. And but he doesn't pay any mind to either of them. It's like the Armelin thinks that she can keep me in the sheep like a sheep in a pen. But then Celine, who in the light is she? What does she want? Celine had been right about some things, but the Armelin had told him that she meant to use them and how. At least in a way. And there were too many holes in what she had said to suit him, but too many holes that she could slip something deadly through. The Armelin wanted something, and Selene wanted something, but he was the rope they were tugging between them, and he'd rather face Trollocs than caught between those two. There had to be a way out of Tarvalon, a way out of both of their grasps. But once he's beyond the river, he can keep out of Aes Sedai hands, and Selene's, and Dark Friends even then. He was definitely sure of that. There had to be a way. And all he could do was think about it from every angle. 
The pie grew cold on the table. And that's the end of the chapter. Very political maneuvering, a lot of subtle hints, undercutting, that kind of thing. Um, but I did want to kind of go over some of the things that uh, Celine had mentioned. If I remember correctly. Um, let me find it. Uh, will they tell you that now Randall Thor is trying to escape? One who calls Moraine is hunting him. Will they tell you that the Black Aja infest their precious tower? Will they tell you how they mean to use you? These kind of things. And you're like, what's going on? And she's like naming off these things. And... Some of them happened not necessarily the way that Celine was thinking, but some of them happened the way she said, and other things didn't happen the way she said. And it leaves a little bit of, I guess, concern or questioning and what what is actually this, I guess, invisible war between Celine and the Aes Sedai over, I guess, Matt. And what's going to happen because of it. Now, there's a lot of description, a lot of detail in terms of who is going to do what. In terms of, like, we get, we get the outfits, we get the appearances, but then we get this subtle hints at descriptions of essentially what both Celine wants to do and the Amarlin wants to do. And then we get even little hints of what Matt wants to do and also his descriptions of his things as well. And this mystery box isn't just Celine. It's kind of three things. There's Celine. There's what Matt wants to do. And there's what the Omerlin Seat wants to do. Now, what Celine wants to do is probably the greatest, I guess, mystery to the reader. Just because we're not really familiar with who she is in every aspect of detail at the moment. And... her game seems to be something else than what you might expect. And Matt's is pretty straightforward. He just wants to get out of Dodge and go make some money on the way so he can, you know, escape everyone and get to wherever he wants to go, which is either home or adventure a bit. And then you have the Omelin, which is probably a bit more straightforward because the first two aren't really mentioned until now. Like, Matt, in the previous books, had mentioned, like, here's what I want to do. But we didn't see a whole lot of it. Celine, we only know because what she specifically states. Um, But from the Omelin, or Swan Sanchez, perspective, we are pretty filled in on what she's planning Although there are certain things that we don't know, because like when they're going to heal him and everything, and or before they heal him, and Varen's like, "So uh, are we going to heal him or are we going to let him die?" And it, it, the chapter then that happened almost sounded like the meme from um, uh, I think it was uh, Rocky, where Dolph Lundgren goes, "If he dies, he dies." <laughs> it's just like that's. It, it kind of threw you off for a second, and then all of a sudden it kind of flipped back the other direction. So it was kind of like, can can we can we the the reader the viewer trust what we're hearing enough to know that they're doing it a little bit differently than what we were gonna originally expect? So um, I I do like that there's a lot of mystery to this, and I'm not really a fan of the mystery boxes. But as the viewer, as opposed to the characters, because there are two different perspectives. You have the characters who have this, 
I don't know what they're thinking, or I don't know what they're thinking, or I don't know what they're thinking, or those guys are thinking, what are those both thinking? And it kind of like, it's always from the character's perspective, they know a lot less than the reader, because the reader gets it from multiple perspectives in a lot of situations. For example, if Matt and Rand are traveling to Camelin in the first book, their experiences are what they can see. We see everything from Rand's point of view. So we don't see a whole lot from Matt's point of view, but we see what Matt is reacting to, how he reacts to things, that kind of stuff. But then if we have other perspectives interfere with that, which we don't get point of views from those, but if you had other experiences that interfere with that, we might be aware as the readers of what's going on, but the character doesn't know. So even though the reader's not necessarily surprised or anything about that. Even though it's not necessarily spoiled, it, it, we're not caught off guard because we're like, oh, what, what else would you expect? Um, but as a, as a character, in this case, Matt's point of view, Matt knows nothing about what Celine wants, the Amelin seat wants, or anybody else for that matter. Not even what the maid wants. And the maid probably just wants to go home. <laughs> or go to sleep or something because, you know, they've probably been working all day. But Celine comes in, kind of tells Matt what, what she wants, but her telling Matt tells the viewer what we think she wants. But it doesn't necessarily mean that's what she actually wants. The same thing could be said about the Omelin, except that when the Omelin talks to Matt, she's only giving him enough to basically answer his questions at the bare minimum. That's typical Aes Sedai speech. And I would probably not hesitate to guess that most of you who are listening, when she, when he is asking those questions to the Amarlin and she's responding, you're thinking, wow, that's a lot of holes. Like she's not being very open or honest about it. And as we see that, we're like, you know, we could probably get away with a little bit more information than what you're giving us, but something's up with what the omelette's saying. And you'd be correct. Like, that's just I said I speech. Like, they're not very direct and honest with people, but they don't lie, but they do omit quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> Especially, like, Nothing was said about, and here's the funny thing is that mentioning his dad coming to see him, like after he's like, Oh, I'm surprised my dad didn't come see me. And she's like, Oh, well he did like mentioning that Tam Althor came with him. One doesn't add much to the conversation. It's not going to be necessarily like, Oh, I didn't think that would happen or anything like that. But her not mentioning it is probably because not many people probably know about his tie to Rand and Leanne may or may not, but as, as much as we know from Swan's perspective, nobody knows about Rand except for Moraine, Varen, herself. I think that's it. There might be one more. I can't remember. <laughs> um, there's so much information to remember in this series, but, um, so, like, at this point, Lan doesn't even know. So bringing up Rand's family and drawing attention to Rand is something that, obviously, the Omerlin doesn't want. So, not automatically adding that in is the safer route for um, Matt. Or, well, not, I should say, for Swan, but Matt also, in a way, is safer for him because if Less people know about his tie to Rand. If anybody is chasing Rand or pursuing Rand, they don't know he's tied to him, thus he has a smaller target on his back. Um, now, if he was like, hey, I had uh, two friends, uh, Rand and Perrin, did, I'm surprised their parents didn't come for him. Which is funny because Tam comes, Abel comes, but Perrin's family doesn't come. Interesting details. I wonder why that is. Well, I guess you'll have to hold, tuck that away for later. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the different point of views and stuff, we know more than what Matt knows while we know the exact same things Matt knows. So we know everything that Matt knows, 
but we know more because of prior experiences. And this is one of the things I love about multiple point of view character uh, instances. Because despite knowing more than the character, we can still be surprised. Like, even though there's, like, a mystery box of who is Celine, or how am I going to get out of the White Tower, or what does the Omelette actually know? Like, knowing what the Omelette knows doesn't make her ultimate plans of what to do with them no less of a mystery. So we still technically have three mysteries on our hands, but we're, we have more clairvoyance on what the Omerlin has planned than we do of what Celine or Matt has planned. Because Matt doesn't really know. He's kind of just guessing, like, well, I, I can go gamble, I get some money, and I can get out of the city, and whether it be go walking across a bridge or taking a boat it doesn't really matter. But as long as I'm on the other side of it and people will leave me alone, I'm good. That's basically all he has planned, but it's not much of a plan as much as just, like, the beginnings of maybe what could potentially, possibly, might be a plan. <laughs> and it'll get bumpy, don't worry. There's plenty plenty of suspense in this series. Um, but yeah, so that's the end of the chapter. Um I know I probably did a little bit more diving into that than is probably necessary, um, but it popped into my head, so I was like, well, why not do it? Um, so yeah, that was more of a deep dive than I probably usually do, um, but the uh, pieces were available, so why not put them together? But yeah, thanks everybody for hanging out. Um, hopefully you enjoyed the episode slash chapter. Um, as much as I did, and maybe you'll get something going in your mind to kind of give you an idea of what exactly you think will happen in the future. Because part of the fun of this is guessing what you might like. If you're if you're new, I should say, because if you're a vet, obviously you already know what's going to happen. But if you're new to this and you're like, I wonder what's going to happen next. Half of the fun is trying to figure out what's going to happen. Like, oh well, I think Matt's going to go do this. I think the Omelin will do this. I think the Lady Celine will do this. And Figuring those things out and seeing if they come true is kind of fun. Odds are you're not gonna, and it won't happen the way you want it to, <laughs> or that you, I'm not saying that you want to, but what you think will happen just because there's a lot more cogs in this machine than you might give it credit for. And that's one of the wonderful things that I love about Robert Jordan's work is he's very thorough, but he's also very good at throwing you off. And some things like, you're thinking, oh, he won't do this. This is too obvious. And he does it and he does it and does it. And it's like, wow, that's surprising. And then you get to a certain point and all of a sudden it's like, is he still going to be going straight? Like, I, this is too obvious. And then all of a sudden he just swerves so hard. You just like get thrown off the horse. <laughs> it's great. Um, or a cliff, depending on, <laughs> depending on what you're on. <laughs> just don't ride your horse too fast. You might go off the cliff instead of turning. But yeah, um, thanks everybody for hanging out. And if you'd like to make a comment or anything on what's been said, or if you want to correct me or question me or anything, feel free to send me a message through our, my Gmail, which is talesofarm at gmail.com. Or you can reach out on Facebook and just message or leave a comment on something. Or, um, you know, you could reach out on Twitter at tales of her arm. Um, just any way that would be easy for you to reach out probably directly through Gmail is probably the easiest way, but I'd love to hear from you guys and answer any questions or anything like that. And maybe throw something into an episode. But uh, also I'd like, if you guys are listening on Apple podcast, if you could give uh, the podcast a five star and a good review. I greatly appreciate it as it lets more people know about the podcast and would also give more people to come in with more dialogue, more questions, more interactions. And I think it could be fun for the podcast. So definitely would appreciate that. I probably won't remember to ask that every single episode. So don't worry. You're not going to get a whole lot of advertisement in that regard. Um, but it would be, it'd be nice to, get more people involved definitely would make me doing this for however many years worth it <laughs> but yes 
Also, um, if anybody is interested, there is the uh, frosted mug that um, the podcast has. You can go to newcreationsbygen.com slash products slash tales of a red arm frosty mug. Collect them all. Um, there is a wonderful little frosted mug. It's a standard frosted beer glass, 16 ounce with handle. It's got the artwork from the podcast on it. Um, a thick star bottom thumb grip handle. Um, I have one and I love it to death. I put everything in it, <laughs> literally everything. It doesn't matter what it is because it's glass. So everything's going to taste better in it. Um, it's 22 bucks and not including shipping, but whatever that is, is going to depend upon, I would assume where you are. And if you're interested in any other types of wheel of time based, um, frosted mugs there are other ones that you can also purchase for the same price um that have different themes like the wines bring in althor farms will reads malkier talks other different podcasts and whatnot um those don't have anything to do with me but if you want to support anybody else in the wheel of time community feel free to do that <laughs> it's up to you um but yeah it, it would help greatly for the podcast if you guys pick one of those up and it's it, it's not like i'm making a million dollars off of each of these but it would definitely help um you can get me maybe a, a, a drink like a coffee or something no i don't really drink coffee but um but yeah it, it's just nice to know that people would have it and support the podcast but if not that's not a problem feel free to keep listening and participating in how you can um, definitely, if you have the ability to share the podcast with anyone, I greatly appreciate it. Um, again, more people who participate makes the more fun for everyone. But yeah, um, we'll go ahead and call it there. But thanks for hanging out. And if you guys uh, are obviously interested in the next uh chapter we got chapter 21 coming up and we're going to switch point of views away from matt this time but hopefully you guys will join me the next time for that so thanks for listening in and we'll see you around until then we drink all night and dance all day and on the girls will send our pay and when we're done then we'll away to dance with jack of the shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall When some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow young Matt wherever he goes To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall When some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he goes To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hog the mags, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark ones first To dance with Jack of the Shadows Yeah! yeah. yeah. yeah.